Being Black in America comes with its challenges. However, we understand that enlightenment through education is the oppressor's worst fear. By bridging the gap between academia and the people, our purpose is to equip you with knowledge that breaks down barriers during your journey towards truth and freedom. Welcome to the Black and Highly Dangerous Podcast. Yo, Dad, what's up? What's up? What's up? What's going on? Nothing much. Just trying to trying to do some self-care. Um, it's been a busy past few weeks, and I just need to sit down for a second. Oh, you know? my. Man, if I... Uh, I'm feeling... Ex- I've been feeling the exact same way. Like, I just need a pause and just, like, <laughs> kick my feet up and just forget about just everything for a moment, you know? Yes. Like it was just fall break and and stuff like that, but it's like, man, you know, the season is like finally starting to change, and I I don't know, I think my body is feeling it, <laughs> and also I was I was home this past week all week, and I forgot how it is to be in the house with your parents, <laughs> and uh, it's just kind of like you you can't stand up without them. Like, where you going? Where you about to go? <laughs> and it, it's just kind of like, I'm not accustomed to that when I'm at home by myself. So it's just like, I, I just need a little breather, a little time to myself. <laughs> <laughs> People that do 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 whatever you want without having to answer to somebody. <laughs> yeah. And half the time I'm like, I'm just walking into the kitchen or, you know, what you doing? Staring at the TV. Like, cause I don't be doing nothing. But it's yeah. just, oh my God. Yeah. Just parents being parents, you know? Yes. What about you? How are you? I mean, good. Like I said, you know, last week I was like, hmm, I haven't been doing much. So as I, as promised, I said I was going to do something this week. Well, it was a surprise anyway. I was surprised last night. My wife took me to the Knicks versus Celtics game. So that was fun. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, yeah, it was good. You know, I was a little worried at first because I'm like, uh, the Knicks, we re- we re- we're rebuilding right now. So, you know, we got the like the youngest team in the NBA. You know, mm. the Celtics are really good. So I thought it was going to be a blowout. You know, I was like, ah, I'm going to have to go all the way up here to watch. But it was a really close game. Went down to the final second. So um, can't, can't get any better than that. So it was a good game to be in. But the who was? Yeah, the, yeah, the Knicks, the Knicks lost. Knicks okay. lost. Okay, that uh-huh. sucks. But that- lost in the last second. So it wasn't like a blowout or, you yeah. know. And a lot of the fans, we all left, you know, like, because I think we all went to there like, oh, we probably going to get blown out. But even though we lost, it wasn't like people were upset or that was OK. That's not bad. You know, that's that's a good sign that we holding out with the top team in the East right that, now. That sounds like how we felt for our homecoming game last week. Like we went in expecting that we were going to leave by halftime because score was going to just be so horrible. But mm-hmm. it was actually a good game. So. Okay. So it's always worth it. Don't also, mix. while we're on sports, shout out to Purdue, upset in Ohio State. Oh, yeah. You know, that was all up and down my timeline all weekend. Yes. Mm-hmm. So boiler up, boiler up. Boiler up, boiler up. <laughs> oh, man, that's funny. Um, all right, so we got some old Lord news to get into, I'm sure. Yes, we do. All right, let's get into it. Hello, and welcome to BHD News, where we give you the most current and eye-opening old Lord news of the week. Join us as we present news that'll make you want to say. Okay, so this might not make you say, oh, Lord, but it'll it'll definitely make you say, 
Yes. She's great. Uh, so on the topic of sports, uh, did you hear that Rihanna actually declined the Super Bowl? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hand clap for, for Rihanna. Applause for Rihanna. Yeah, applause. Yeah. Don't make me feel remember when they first announced like the Super Bowl performance, people were like, it's Atlanta. Like, why why don't have nobody black or something like that? I remember them saying that um, and come to find out, you know, there is some solidarity in the entertainment world. Um, and, you know, because even Jay-Z had like a verse in Ape you know what, Mm -hmm. Uh, where he said, I said no to the Super Bowl. You need me. I don't need you. Every night we in the end zone till the NFL, we in stadiums too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So shout, shout out to them. Yeah. Shout out to them. (laughs) You know, and it's funny because I like that because the one it's, it's making the NFL pay consequences for their actions with Kaepernick. Mm -hmm. Um, And then uh, I don't know if you saw Amy Schumer release a little statement as well. Which I think is a really good point in a couple for a couple of different reasons. Uh, but did you hear about it? So I heard. I don't know what she said. So, well, in her statement, she pretty much was just. It was on Friday, and I think it was in response to the Rihanna um, situation. But she was just kind of questioning, like, why don't any white athletes take uh, football players take a knee okay, as yeah, well? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so there was some buzz going around about that too, which is a good point. But even just even the black players, why why are more, not more black players doing it as well? Like every seems like to me, I'm starting to get the sense everybody else is upset about this and what they're doing more than some of the, like the players themselves. Like mm-hmm. we should be seeing a lot more action and response <laughs> and and pushback from them, but. Everyone outside of them are the ones doing most of the pushback and, and pushing and, and just talking about it. Um, money, money is a hell of a drug. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but we try to do this to make it better for them. They get more money and get more, you know. But. Yeah. That's all we got to stand up for the players that, you know, are, you know, trying to do something and create change. And, you know, hopefully others will follow suit and see, like, you don't, you know, Whatever threats they put out there, it you can you can overcome them. And like mm-hmm. it's people that are in support of you, so you don't have to not stand in stand up for what you believe in. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, you believe in it. That's, that's yep. hard to say. Yeah. Okay, so on to some oh lord oh lord newsworthy things. So you know we have in the past had a bunch of wild black segments. Mm-hmm. Well, this one will really get you. Add gardening to a list of things that black people cannot do in peace. In Detroit, yes, in Detroit, a black man decided that he wanted to beautify uh, a vacant lot in a neighborhood that he grew up in. Uh, Initially, when he started doing it, there was at least one white neighbor in that community who gave him some soil to help out. But things quickly took a turn for the worse because she and two other white women who have moved into this neighborhood began to harass him. They called the police on him. Pretty much every time he went there, Uh, one time the police came um, and they said that the man had a gun. When the police showed up, all he had was a rake. Oh, my. And people, they news have like obtained the police video. And even when they came there, they were like, the police was like, this is bullshit. Like, he doesn't have a gun. Mm -hmm. You it's not illegal to rake. 
And and this went on for a long time. They accused him of being a pedophile. So one time he was out there with children, teaching them how to oh garden. The women called the police on him and said that some principal had informed them that the man was a pedophile and wasn't supposed to be around children. Oh. The police came. And of course, the lie detector test determined that that was a lie. Oh. You know what I'm saying? People didn't even know the man, um, but it turned into somehow they were able to file stalking charges against him. What? Yes, and the DA and the police took it seriously, and he was charged in court with oh, stalking these three goodness. women. But thank God for the judge who said, get this BS out of my courtroom. Like you are wasting, told the DA, you are wasting the court's time. It is very obvious that these charges are bull and just, just get it out of here. Like she was like, I can see through this and did a direct verdict of uh, like, yeah, of tossing the case out. Rejecting it. Good, good. And first (laughs) off, it shouldn't even have gotten to that judge's desk the DA, shame on you for even moving this case forward because they could have easily dismissed this as well. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that have to look at the evidence and be like, oh, we got a good case here. So that means they're on an agenda to push it forward for some reason. For um, some reason. But I'm hope that, hoping it means that uh, Mr. Peoples has uh, enough of a case to bring up some uh, uh, some type of loss. Harassment charges or something. Yeah, there should be some civil suit. You know, the damages, uh, some money he should get from them. And sue these people. Because they said that, you know, he had to pay for lawyer fees. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot that, you know, comes with like defending your innocence. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So um, hopefully he can sue. They did set up a GoFundMe page for him just for him to recoup all of the the money that he spent with trying to defend himself. But I, I also hope he wins the case. So, yeah, I'm sure you miss work, you know, you know, time, whatever, you know, mental health. There's a lot of things. A good attorney can throw in there to make sure you get your, get your whatever you owe. That's crazy, man. When is it going to stop? And I don't understand why it keeps happening when all these people get exposed. Because I know you reported uh, when the guy was on the elevator trying to get into his own apartment. Mm-hmm. Right? And then she lost her job as a result. But it's like, and then they want to like play the victim role afterwards. Like, no, you know what you're doing. And there's tons of examples out there. This is not appropriate behavior. Mm-hmm. Like, it, even if you may think it, once you uh, talk to them, okay, say I'm sorry and keep moving. Don't push it, you know, but they keep doing the most. The most. Uh, the absolute crazy. most. I keep, you ever think about what would you do if you're in one of these situations? Because a lot of times I think about that. Um, Definitely <laughs> record. I, but I'm not even going to lie. And y'all can use this as evidence <laughs> in the future. But that's going to be my come up. That's going to be my reparations. Because I'm I'm suing for a hundred. I'm going to be like, Ezell on Friday. I'm suing. I'm going to record it. I'm, I'm going to take my little lumps and bruises. Because especially if they call the police, I'm not going to fight. But if I get arrested on some, some BS, you best believe my student loan is going to be paid off. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is that is the long term effects for sure. Because I'm I'll be sitting there thinking I'm like, and what gets me is a lot of the black folk in these videos. They'd be so calm, and I'd be like, I don't. I'd be trying to believe I'd be calm, but I just don't know if I would have that much patience, you know, to know that I'm not doing anything wrong, and then I'm right, and you're harassing me. Yeah. Uh, but I know if I 
you know, go over the top, it can be worse. Yeah. You know? So it's just like one of them situations, but but there will be some consequences, probably legal action like yourself. Like I would have to get them back. I couldn't just like yeah. let it go and be like, oh, nah. And I, I, I even think about like the police situation that I had that we've talked about before. Sometimes in that moment, you are just so shocked that you don't even like, you're like, is this happening? Like, so, you know, it's, it's really difficult to say what happened in that moment. I know when I had like an incident that wasn't related to somebody calling the police on me, but the police doing something just very inappropriate. I was just shocked and mm-hmm. like, didn't even know how to respond until after the fact when I became angry. Yeah. Angry. Yeah. Those <laughs> emotional stages. Right? Yes. I'll be watching these videos and I'll be getting mad like it's me, boy. I'm like, oh, get out of here. How you gonna gonna stop me walking from my own apartment? You know, that's uh, you. Oh, make your blood boil. (laughs) Yes. All right. So speaking of, uh, you know, I guess being upset or discrimination or like the experiences that people have that other people don't. Mm -hmm. um, There was a recent poll that said people who voted for Trump um, say men are more discriminated against than LGBTQ people, most minorities, and women. That was according to a recent poll. Oh my goodness. <laughs> 49% of the people who voted for Trump said that they believe men face a great deal or a fair amount of discrimination. And 41% of the president's supporters said that LGBT, LGBTQ people face a similar amount of discrimination. said Mexican-Americans face discrimination, um, followed by 38% saying the same about African-Americans and only 30% saying that women are discriminated against. But they feel, a a great deal of them feel that they experience discrimination, but, you know, only 38% think that African-Americans do or 30% think that women do. Yeah, that's crazy. crazy. That's crazy. I, I mean, like, what discrimination do men face for real? Like, <laughs> what? I mean, especially white men, for real. Because I mean, black men do. Yeah, um, yeah. race, race yeah. discrimination. Race sure. discrimination. But if you're looking at it from like a, a gender standpoint, come on now. I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, what's what? Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's just, that's just completely wrong. And I, but it's, it's sad that 50% of them believe this. Mm. Um, that's crazy. Every, everybody want to be a victim. Yep. Everybody want to, you know, have their side story. But I'm, I'm sorry, white men. Y'all just don't. Y'all just don't have that much to complain about. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just sorry. <laughs> uh. Okay. And as a little update, and this kind of takes us into at least one of the topics we'll discuss in today's episode, but also talks about like our reactions to people who accuse us of things that we didn't do. And it becomes a whole hoopla. So remember uh, the young man, like eight, nine years old in the corner store that was accused of sexually assaulting the white woman. Mm hmm. Well, you know, he finally was able to speak with the news and, you know, talk about what he was feeling about the situation. And he said the most beautiful thing that I have ever heard from a victim of like these false accusations. Mm. He said, I do not forgive this woman and she needs help. (laughs) 
from the mouths of babes. Oh, God. Yes. And, and the children shall lead them because every time one of these incidents happen, it's always, I'm going to pray for them. I forgive them. You know, no, I don't forgive you. Okay. <laughs> I know. I don't forgive you and you need help. And you need help. <laughs> That's too funny. I that thought is it was true. too funny. But it's it's so important that like we are so quick to forgive sometimes that we don't let people's behavior like sink in. Like you did mm-hmm. something really bad and you need mm-hmm. to sit with that. No, you are not forgiven, at least not at this moment. Yes, yes. So so shout out to you for standing strong in your beliefs. Yes, young, young man. Brother, young brother. You teach us all something. <laughs> I'll learn something from that. But like I said, that actually gets to, because we're actually going to discuss that a little bit more detailed, not this particular situation, but whether Black people are a little bit too forgiving of their oppressors. That's one of the topics for today. Yes, yes. Today we have a, a special guest on, a different, a little different guest, because usually, you know, I know traditionally we have people who are academics and stuff like that, and, you know, people in different professionals. Um, but we have a, not a professional in another sense. Um, there is a up-and-coming uh, social media, or just a media website or media outlet catered to Black folks called The Black Detour. And we speak to the founder of this black media site called the Black Detour, um, Jay Kobe, and so we'll we'll talk a lot about a lot of things about how he developed his black media, the importance of having blacks in media and representation, etc. But then we cover a lot of other topics as well, dealing with a lot of the things we talk about, just like things like black elitism in the black community. Um, you know, talking about some sports topics and a lot of hot topics and things of those long. But it's a really good conversation with Jay Kobe because he's pushing the the agenda forward for us and for our people of just, you know, we complain a lot about not having a voice, not having representation, not having our stories told and the narratives we told in the way we like. And this is his attempt of doing that, focusing and catering to us as an audience and as a people. So it was really cool talking with him and learning from him and also just having a good conversation of uh, some pretty cool topics. Yes. Yes, I agree. And it's also important to note that, again, we were able to do this interview because this platform reached out to us. And Mm -hmm. as we have said before, we are open to talking to people who support us, to people who, you know, want to get their voices out there. So it doesn't have to be a one way street where we're reaching out to y'all. Y'all can reach out to us. Mm-hmm. Again, he they reached out to us and we said, for sure, let's get it on. And one of the things I liked about it, too, um, that we kind of yeah, briefly touch on, but I think it's good to just talk about now, too, is the fact that is, we're, it, we're a community, right? Uh, we're doing black media in our way. They doing black media in their way, but it's not we didn't view it as competition or no, we can't talk to them because they're doing similar things in some ways. No, let's talk. Let's talk and have conversations and promote both of us and get both of our names out of there, too. So it's about a communal effort. You know, sometimes people get funny with that kind of stuff and won't bring people on because, oh, they're coming. No, we're not viewing anybody's competition. We're all in this together trying to push forth, you know, the same agenda of just helping our people out and being a voice for the community. So agree. So it was really cool talking to Jay. Um, so we're about to get into that again. 
continue to, to listen to us, uh, continue to hit us up. We want to have you on as a guest. Remember, we're bringing on listeners once a month, the last episode of every month to cover, cover current events episodes. So, of course, next week's episode will be another uh, rendition of that. We'll have another guest on, but we'll tell you more about that next week, who is a listener. So continue to reach out to us. We're really serious about this. If you want to come on and chat with us, just hit us up, whether it be social media, whether it be email, however you can get in touch with us. We take it seriously. As you can see, we bring people on. We want you to have a voice and we want you to just converse with you all about these topics. So continue to hit us up and and share us and all that good stuff. But without further ado, we'll get into today's topic and we'll catch up with y'all afterwards. With the proliferation of fake news and negative images of people of color in the media, black news outlets are now more important than ever. Today, we highlight the work of the Black Detour, an up-and-coming media outlet aimed at empowering and informing Black people by interviewing the founder, Jay Colby. In the interview, we discuss how he developed the platform and advice he has for others interested in telling stories that matter. We also discuss a few interesting topics, such as elitism in the Black community, whether integration was the worst thing that happened to the Black community, and whether Black people are too forgiving in regard to racism and oppression. Welcome, Jay Colby. Thank you for having me on the show. Uh, thank you for being a part of it, for sure. Happy to have you. Yes, yes. Um, so the way we like to start, you know, most of our interviews is just asking our guests to kind of introduce themselves to uh, the audience, right? So tell them a little bit about who you are and kind of what you do, and then we can take it from there. Well, I'm a journalist by trade, you know. I wanted, to, I always knew I wanted to be in media as a young kid watching. You know, I used to want to be a sports broadcaster because I was really heavy into sports at the time in my life. And, you know, I just got into that, went to college for it. And then once I graduated college, I was working in the field and I just felt like the black voice was missing. I just felt like my voice wasn't being told. I wasn't being able to write the stories and cover the stories that I felt like was important to my community and what was happening in the world today. So that's when the idea of the Black Detour came about. And I just wanted to put a collective a group together of people who had a, a like mind who wanted to work towards the empowerment, not only the empowerment, but to inform black people on certain issues that's going on in our community that we always don't have those critical conversations. And so I feel like a lot of mainstream media and larger media doesn't really cover the stories that are important to us. So I feel like I wanted to create something that will be able to do that. Mm. So speaking of the the Black Detour, how did you come up with that name, first of all? <laughs> and then also, can you tell us a little bit more about um, just the platform? Like, what do you offer to your audience? What are some of the trends you noticed when you were trying to develop this platform? Um, and even just a little bit more about why you did it. You mentioned it a little bit, but I'd like to know a little bit more. Okay, so about the name, a lot of people ask about the name. So I was actually coming up with names, a lot of terrible names, actually, coming up with different names, trying to figure out, okay, what's a good name for this platform? And a colleague of mine at the time told me, what about the Black Detour? And at the time, it wasn't a meaning behind the name, but as I saw the name and I thought about the name, it was a meaning. Because as Black people in America, we've been put down a certain path in life. And so that path, we want, kind of want to go off that path and not saying – not saying we want to go off the bridge completely, but we want to go off that path. So we want to take a detour and to go to where we really want to go. And where instead of where the dominant society is taking us, we want to go our own path. So that's kind of where the black detour uh, no, comes into play. And about the black detour, it's just some, you can expect to hear, you know, a lot of different things on a black detour. So if you go to our social media, you'll see a lot of questions. We ask a lot of questions, critical questions that often are not asked in the mainstream media that would challenge your thought process and give you those critical thinking skills that I feel like a lot of us doesn't have anymore. 
because a lot of us, if you don't go to college or you don't, you know, extend your educational background, if you just go to high school, a lot of times, other than social media, you don't, you don't read. You know, a lot of people don't read anymore. Reading is not just for entertainment like it used to be. So a lot of people, you know, they find entertainment on social media. So that's one of the things we wanted to just be very critical. And also you'll see news, you'll see history. And it, that's a big thing that we do, too, is sharing history of stories that a lot of people don't know about our past. And some people may know, but maybe not know as detailed as they should. And just a reminder of stuff that happened in the past. So you so you know your past, because if you don't know your past, you cannot you know proceed to the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. How did you you know, how did you get your platform to grow or even because I find that even with our own platform, right, um, we kind of get a lot of the an older audience per se, right? Maybe mm-hmm. 35 and up, 40 and up. And um, how do you begin to get more engagement with kind of the millennials or, or the younger generations with these kind of services and conversations? Yeah. So when we first started off, we actually had an older audience. You know, our audience was about 35 and up. It was a more older audience. And what I noticed was once I build the core as an older audience, more younger people come along because a lot of younger people are more superficial. So once they see something has legs and something is already moving, they will come along later. And they want to have those conversations too, but you have to kind of come with their ad with those conversations and maybe not have all the critical conversation, but also had some entertainment mixture, you know, different things that they might like to, then, you know, in the critical conversation, that stuff that we need to talk about to kind of draw them in. And that's kind of how we did from the beginning. And then another way we drew, you know, audiences just being authentic and being authentic with our audiences saying that, you know, talking about conversation that not just only we want to have, but they want to have, that they're having on social media and they're having online already. Mm. Bringing that to a bigger platform. So, so it won't always be our ideas, but it'll be what they really want. So we do a lot of interacting with them to see what they really want to see and what they want to read and what they want to, you know, feel like should be in the social conscious of black people. Mm, that mm. makes a lot of sense. I also want to say, you know, some people might feel some type of way about y'all calling 35 people year, uh, year olds older. You know, they might go <laughs> a bit away because well, I was old. like, oh, I'm not 35 yet, but I'm knocking on that door. Well, not, well, not to say older, but just in that demographic that's older, not just the millennial demographic. Not saying 35 is not old, no. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just playing with y'all. <laughs> um, so, like, kind of on that, because what you just said was really helpful for us, and I feel like we're, like, moving to that, like, okay, let's really engage with our audience. But in general, what would you, what type of advice or other advice would you have for people who want to build a media platform to really, like you said, educate and reach um, black people who want to just learn and know more. Uh, what advice would you have from based on like mistakes um, or successes you've had? Well, one, I would say you need to be consistent. I feel like that's a very, I mean, it's an easy thing to say, but just being consistent is a, is a key. And also knowing what your demographic is and what you really want to do. Do you want to get the largest audience you can or, or do you really want to just have a message? Some people have a message. They don't care about the audience. It could be five people listening or five people reading what they're putting out, but they don't care because they have a message to say. But some people, they want the larger audience. So the larger audience, you have to broaden your topics. And you you might can't always put your ideas into it, but have to put, you know, the concepts and, the you know, the things that other people actually want to hear. And then you you throw in your stuff in between because once you grow your audience, then obviously you can talk about what you want. But a lot of people don't really see that with media because they think, well, I want to talk about my message. I'm doing this and that. But people don't want to hear what you're saying. Your audience will stay small. So you have to also, you know, it's kind of like a combination. You know, you have a message. And you have a purpose, and then you also have what people want to hear. So you have to kind of, you know, collaborate all those three things together to make a, a outlet that's people that's actually successful. And then I would just say, you know, 
reaching out to other people like we're doing here today that, that are in the media business and do have a little more experience than you do, then that will be also to help you grow faster as well. Yeah, I appreciate that first tidbit too. Like, I, I think a lot of people miss that point of just being consistent and not, you know, when you're starting off or you're trying to do it, just keep working, just keep working, just keep working and stay true and committed to your goals. And, you know, I think it eventually it'll be where you want it to be, you know, and stay committed yeah. to it. Um, one thing before we move on to what I noticed about the Black Detour, and I want to kind of ask you if you do this intentionally, right? Because it seems like, you know, sometimes when you go on some websites, especially like yourself being like the founder of it, um, and then you would see that person's like face plastered or a bunch of their stories and names plastered all on the mm-hmm. on the stories and stuff like that. But for the Black Detour, I don't see that. A lot of the times I see, you know, the Black Detour team where there's really not like a identifying person or one individual. Um, so is that done by intent? I'm just kind of curious as far as like why, why you guys operate that way. Yeah, so that's very intentional because we, we, didn't, we never wanted to make the Black Detour about one person about one person's background and one person's mistakes in the past. Because the Black Detour is comprised of a lot of people from different backgrounds. So we don't want nobody to be judged or be thrown away. You know how people, you know, we got the throwaway culture where you make one mistake this time, you said one mistake, then we don't want them to do it. True, so we true. wanted to ma- make it about the Black Detour. That's what it's about. It's not about one person being a face, one person getting on. It's about the Black Detour and the collective of Black people as a whole moving forward. It wasn't about a person trying to get on or a person trying to get their name up and get clout. Mm. Mm. I really like that because you're right though because do we do see especially just like even outside of that right things like when people tweet things from a, a few years ago right mm-hmm. and it's and it's holding them up now and so if you're trying to put out this content it is kind of a, a safer space to do it if you're just behind you know the organization's name or company's name right yeah. and, and it represents that way and nobody can get singled out in the future and it can't hold them up yeah. you know in future so that's pretty smart I like that I like yeah that. I noticed the exact same thing um, so in addition to having this platform, you are also, uh, someone who's like very interested in and very informed about topics related to the black community, the black experience and history. And so we kind of want to have like a conversation about, um, a few topics that have impacted the black community historically and kind of move into like some of the things that are happening now. Okay. Um, So, uh, historically, Black people have been one of the most oppressed groups of people in the United States. You're talking about 400 years of slavery. You're talking about Jim Crow um, and everything we've experienced up until now. Like, we can't even nail without, like, losing a job. Um, And one thing that I've noticed recently is conversations about whether Black people are just far too forgiving of our oppressors. Um, And I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that. Like, is there such thing as being too forgiving? Well, I would say the word forgiving is something that we've been ingrained to do, something we've been taught to do over our history. We've been taught to forgive those who oppress us, taught to be, well, you know, we got to turn the other cheek and taught to not, you know, be aggressive or be against what the oppressive system has gave, given us in his life. So I would say, yes, we have been too forgiven, but I wouldn't say we shouldn't forgive. I shouldn't, I, w- I would say that we should keep fighting for against what we are forgiven. You know, because a lot of times when we forgive, it's kind of you wash everything away, like nothing never happened again. Like you wash it, it's gone. But we don't need to wash it away. We need to actually work towards it even harder when we forgive. Yeah, I forgive you, but we're going to have to work harder to go against whatever that oppressive thing you did to us. We can't just forget about it. We can't just say, well, you know, you, you went into my apartment, you shot me dead. Oh, I forgive you still. I just want to know what happened. No, 
I can forgive you, but I still want to know what happened, why, why it happened, and we're going to have to fix this problem because it cannot keep happening. People dying for no apparent reason. That's just an example. But that's just something that we have to be, you know, to understand that we shouldn't just forgive, but we should also, you know, not let it go. Not just say forgive and, oh, well, it's okay. Yeah, no, I, 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 yeah, this is a question I think, you know, that can go a lot of ways, but I do feel like, yeah, there's a separation between like forgiveness and, and not forgetting. Right. I think sometimes it's like, Oh, forgive, forgive, but let's not, let's forget about everything that has happened. I think that's not what the case is. Again, I'm sure in conversation and things I've seen and heard, right. Forgiveness is really about for the individual, for yourself. Right. So you don't hold or harbor into that resentment, but it doesn't mean that you completely ignore what has happened right or mm-hmm. or forget the impact of what that has what has happened because of it or what come from it um and so i think as long as we continue to uh not forget right and hold people accountable i think is what it boils down to as well then you know it won't be as seen as too forgiving but i can see why some people would say you know why we feel like we're too forgiving uh in some ways right and and, and i think that upsets some people and i think we'll get into that a little bit later in this conversation too um as far as how we mix and mingle right when these situations and things happen um you thoughts Daphne you got any thoughts on it you um yeah so I I was kind of actually thinking of the Botham Jean case when it first came out and like his mom was you know speaking I think they're a very religious family and they you know originally came out you know I felt like in somewhat of a forgiven tone and then I feel like once they realized what they were up against in terms of how the systems work to ensure that certain people do not have justice, I feel like that tone changed a little bit to say like, okay, we're going to um, really have to fight this. And so, like you said, I, 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 I feel like it's a natural instinct in like cases of injustice or like being oppressed that uh, black Americans or black people in general, because they're not black Americans, they're from St. Lucia, but black people are naturally, I think, empathetic in terms of like, I can understand. So I'm not going to like lay the hammer down on you. I can forgive you. And in some ways it's because they think that justice will work for them. And so that's why I feel like I I don't necessarily think it's too forgiving, but I think there has to be, I don't necessarily think that that is the first tone that should come out. It's kind of like, no, I want change or I want justice or whatever it is, because it, it makes it too easy for people to just like, wipe away what happened like oh you know let's yeah forgive and forget and things of that nature so you know I was I was thinking about that I don't think we're too forgiven but I think our natural instinct is to try to understand other people's perspectives and why certain things may have happened um and we think that if we try to build that common bridge with people who oppress us or who have done us wrong that maybe they'll do right by us and that's just not going to happen so yes it sounds like you're saying we kind of too too trusting right yes yes it might not be too forgiven but it's too trusting that like if I show some understanding if I try to work with you that you're going to do what's right and I'm sorry people don't people don't always do what's right especially when they're in positions of power Mm-hmm. And privilege. 
And I remember after the Charleston shooting, right? I mean, of course, that, that happened in the church, with, you know, with Dylan Roof. But I mean, that was like the one of the first things that came out from the church and, and the people that were victims were like, you know, we forgive you, Dylan Roof. And I'm like, whoo, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't know. And immediately after, you know, and I understand the message they were trying to send and probably based more from a religious foundation, which is understandable. But I think it's OK when these acts happen to also be angry or to be upset and to, you know, have, cause that's emotions that also need to be expressed and let out. And then you can eventually move to forgiveness, but you know, right after something like that happened and somebody does, does what they what did, what he did in that situation. Um, I think we should allow the space for that too. And, and, and feel like as people, it's okay to be upset and angry and not feel guilty or that we're doing something wrong when extreme injustice or violence has been acted upon us. Right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's okay to be outraged. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I feel like we just been taught that way. You know, we've been we've been, you know, ingrained that in our minds over our history in this country. Mm-hmm. 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 I okay. think or I was gonna say, I think it also has something to do with people's or how we want to manage our perceptions. Like you don't want to be the angry black person. And it's it's trying to manage other people's perceptions of you. So you think if you come out in this, you know, forgiving tone or this soft tone that, you know, maybe it'll make a difference, but I, I guarantee it won't like be mad, you know? Exactly. That is the truth. Um, all right. So, so, you know, let's go, let's go to another area that I think is worth having a conversing about and having conversation on. Um, I think, I don't know if we talk about this enough, right? Um, Cause we do talk about black issues and especially race issues and things going on when it comes to other races and, and our race. Uh, but when we talk about things like black elitism, right. Uh, and, and black classism and, and kind of disconnections we may have within our own communities. I don't think we really address that as much as we need to. So um, I guess, Jay, I'll let you touch on this first. You know, what are your thoughts on things like black elitism? Maybe you can tell our listeners what it is and, and then your perspective on that. Yeah. So black elitism was something I didn't even know about for 22 years of my life. It took me until I was 22 to understand what black elitism was. I never experienced black elitism. I didn't even know it was an elite black. I knew it was a black people who would be considered or considered themselves be elite. Mm-hmm. So when I, when I came across this information that it wasn't even a thing that it's groups of people in this country. And I guess it would make sense because we learned in school about like the first black person who was a congressman, the first black person who was a doctor, but I never thought about their answers and people after them would be considered elite now because they had that wealth from the beginning. What a lot of us black people never had and was, you know, taken out of. So I never thought that it was a group of people who would be considered themselves elite and have like different organizations. And I know one organization that I'm sure you are familiar with, but I, I never knew about it in my community. Nobody never talked about it with Jack and Jill. And just learning about that that community and that thing, not saying it's a bad thing, but just learning about that's actually a, a thing. Like that's actually something that people do participate in. That's actually elite people involved in those things that a regular, I guess not regular, but a lower class black person would never know about. We never even experienced those things that those people are privileged to. So just to learn about those things, I feel like it's something that we need to have a conversation. And I'm sure y'all can speak on it more, but to have those conversations about, you know, about black elites, I mean, it's effects on us and our psyche. To have, and even in our own community, even people who are lower class would be elitism in the sense of, well, I, I got more education than you, or I have a, you know, a better job than you have, or I have, you know, this and that that you don't have, this car, this house, or whatever the case may be. So I feel like it goes, you know, hand in hand. 
Mm-hmm. So I kind of had a similar experience. It wasn't until I went off to college. I come from a very like working class background. Um, when I went off to college, I went to Vanderbilt University and um, the black people there were very different from the black people that I was accustomed to being around in my hometown. And it just shows that like, okay, when they say that black people are not a monolith, they are right. Um, That was my first introduction to Jack and Jill. You know, I then came across this book called Our Kind of People, um, where they kind of give the history of the black elite. So there's like Jack and Jill, there's Boule, there's The Link. There are all of these social organizations that were created you know, in the early 1900s um, and toward the, yeah, toward the middle that were created for, you know, African-American professionals. Uh, That was, it was, I feel like the black elite was largely built on education, not necessarily wealth. Uh, There, of course, were black wealthy people, but it's not like Rothschild, you know, white old old money type thing. It was kind of like, Education was so uh, such a rarity within the black community at a certain point that you became elite because you had that education. Now that education is something that like many people are pursuing. Um, I feel like these organizations play a larger role in distinguishing like the black elite from just like the black educated class or something like that. No, yeah, I like that. I like that distinction. I think yeah, um, and I know you know we we can talk about that, but I, I think. That initially, when you think about, yeah, black money, black wealth, you know, never really had it. And this is something new. And so when the black elite did or started to develop, it was definitely more focused on education. And now, because it's solely based on money, I also see that kind of disconnect, too, when we see people who have money, black folk who have money speaking out on black issues or not speaking out on black issues or seeming very disconnected. But they're lacking that kind of educational component too, like whether they be musicians or athletes or whomever. Um, and they, and their their words carry a lot of weight, though. So I don't know. It's very interesting when we talk about you know black elitism, but also the, the potential disconnect and the two different worlds. And you know, like you said, not being monolithic uh, and have and the impact of those things. Even when I'm thinking like just the sports and um, somebody like Dak Prescott, you know, who was talking against what some of the athletes have been doing with kneeling and Kaepernick and, and, and again, having this voice, having this position, but not really seeming to be fully educated on them. I they have to agree with everything, but it seems like these individuals are having more of a voice and their voice is going to have more of an influence and make more headlines than somebody who may be an academic or a professor. You know, it's not like equal anymore. When you talk about like education before and money now, it seems like money carries most of the weight. And we just hope that the people with the money, Find those people that can actually give a more, you know, I guess, educated response or at least just a good uh, answer to what's going on in our society. Yeah. And I would speak to that and say, well, when it comes to Dak Prescott specifically, um, I wouldn't say it would be an educational background for him. I think it would be more so you can't speak out against your uh, your person who's paying you. So even if they're, it's, you're speaking out against an oppressive system. The person paying you is a part of that system, right? So I can't speak out. That's why certain people don't speak out. That's why you hear Michael Jordan said back in the day that, you know, everybody buys shoes, right? So it's, it's the thing that he doesn't want to offend his, you know, consumer base that would buy his shoes too because he know, but he just feel I'm going to get the black support regardless. Black people, like Prescott probably think black people want to interfere regardless. So it's not about them, just people as whole and we unity and all together. So I'm not going to speak up to certain things. Now, my personal opinion, I feel like if you have that opinion, that's fine. You don't want to speak up because, you know, you're going to you know, hurt your bottom line. Just doesn't say anything at all. Say no comment or I'm not going to speak on that. 
don't hurt us more in a in a sense. Because you speaking out like that, like you said, your your voice has more power because of who you are. Mm-hmm. 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 And uh, kind of thinking about that, like, so you mentioned like musicians and like sports and entertainment, like. Again, like when I read the book, Our Kind of People, historically, those people would not be included in what in that definition of like black elite talented 10th. And it's interesting now because, like you said, those are the people with the loudest voices or the voices that have the most impact and individuals who would be considered, you know, bloodline black elite they're not necessarily the voices that are like leading the community. And this is a little tea that y'all might find interesting, but I think like Barack and Michelle Obama were actually not completely accepted in like black elite circles in Chicago prior. Like you see, they're not a part of like any fraternity or sorority. I don't think he's a part of Boule. Um, and there there was kind of some tension there because you have these people who have the education who are coming from the outside. They're not a part of this old guard and, you know, they're making big names for themselves. But I thought it was so interesting. I, I, I read a lot of stuff on the Internet, but I read <laughs> how, you know, it particularly Obama and Michelle Obama as his like girl from the South side, you know, they didn't necessarily have the pedigree that would be considered uh, needed to be accepted into like black elite circles. But but then of course he became the president. So things change, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't always that way. Mm -hmm. I can see that. I can can see that. And and yeah, I I think that idea, like what you mentioned with the talented 10th, you know, which was, again, for those of you not familiar, but it was like a group of highly educated African-Americans was the idea, according to Du Bois, they're the ones that should be leading and uplifting the black community, right? This kind of top 10%. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think that exists as much today or that kind of idea, right? Um, because I don't know, I just feel like we're way more connected, you know, we're not relying on it. You know, people can reach, as we just said, education does is not the only way you can reach certain audiences or get into certain spaces anymore. And so I think it kind of eliminates that idea of like this 10% of people who maybe only had access to education or going that route probably back in the day, which I understand from that perspective, but today it's just, it's just not the case. Um, you know, depending on what you do and what you're good at, anybody can get into that, those elite spaces or spaces where people are, you know, don't, don't navigate that often. I actually wanted to, you know, hear both your and Jay's perspective on like, and you kind of mentioned a little bit, Ty, but I like to hear maybe Jay, like, is that concept of the talented 10th, like these educated and rich black people are going to save and uplift the community. Is that outdated? Like even like back then, like, is that problematic at all? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's very problematic. Cause I would even say then it wasn't even a really, you know, thought out, you know, ideal or concept because to say a talented tenth will be able to help us and get us out of our situation, we know that's not the truth because a lot of times you can pay people to just be quiet. So once you get in a certain position and you get high up and you get brought out out of that situation that you was in, brought out of poverty, brought out of, you know, wherever you was from or wherever your situation was, then once you get brought out of that, a lot of times you don't want to speak on what happened in our community or, speak, or be a voice for us. Because a lot of times you see those elite people, those aren't the people on the grassroots going to the organization meetings, on, not on the front lines. A lot of times, the top 10% that you were speaking on, 
th- those are not the people who are really out there in the streets is a sense. You know, they're not they're not feeling what we're feeling. So a lot of times they don't feel the pressure as how we feel. Because I even talked to lawyers before, people who who may be from our community, but as they come out, they make these, these large salaries, they're in this position. They feel like, well, it's black people's problem why they're in this position. You didn't work hard enough. I worked very hard. And I'm not saying they didn't, but it's just that's how they think now. They, they Their mindset changed a lot once they you know are lifted up, I guess, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I just think that when it comes to this, everybody, I, it's no longer like a, even I, sometimes when I even talk to students or, or younger folks, right, or, and people in the community, sometimes they have this idea of like, we need one person, like where's our Martin Luther Kings, right? Where are Malcolm X, these like traditional style leaders that we've seen in the past, and they feel like they're they're waiting for this next person in order to to gain momentum or to move forward. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't, it's not like that anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, like I said, we're very much connected. And I think that everybody now, I think we think of it more as, as like a team, right? Everybody serves a role or like a relay race. Like yeah. there are certain things that I can do well and that I will do the best of my ability in certain spaces, right? I'm an academic. I'm a certain. I'm a, I can do and, and, and reach certain people in certain ways. But then there's certain things I can't do, and I'm not trying to step up and and say I, I can do it all, right? So then I would pass the baton next to somebody who would be the best fit in this space and to to get us the best outcomes, right? Um, and do things if I'm not familiar with a community or how things operate or how they converse or whatever it is. Okay, take the baton, brother or sister. You go ahead, and now this is. Now you you take us to where we need to go, right? I think that's how it should be looked at more as a teamwork thing than as like we're looking for this captain or this leader to take us to the promised land. It's just not like that anymore. Yeah, and I would agree with that because you know it it, wouldn't, it couldn't even be a Malcolm or a, a Martin in this time anyway. Because this era of you know you know you know dismissive era that we have on social media that once they would have made a mistake, like if you look at Malcolm background, he wouldn't even be allowed to become Malcolm X. He would still be Malcolm Little because of his background. So he wouldn't even be allowed to become who he became. And then Martin Luther King and his background, not saying he had a shady background, but stuff he did that came out later after he died, stuff he did throughout his, you know, his run as being a civil rights leader, quote unquote. Even the stuff he did, if that would have came out now, we would we would dismiss him anyway. So I so I find it funny how people say they won't, you know, <laughs> they want a Martin Luther King or Malcolm X, because even if we had it again, we wouldn't, we wouldn't appreciate it. We would just throw it away, even if we did have it again, which I don't think we never will, but even if we did. I wouldn't think that would even happen in this day and age. And I mean, just I think it's a I think it's a strength to not have it, right? Because when we see every time we did have someone in place, you see what happened, right? Yeah. They take them out, incarcerate, assassinate, whatever, run them out the country, right? It just it's better when they can't when everything is not on the weight the shoulders of one person or a movement is not just based on one person because then you can't they can't target any one person to stop it. You can keep moving forward. Yeah, I, I did notice that for a while with like Black Lives Matter. I don't know if it was the media because I, I don't feel like this person like stated like, oh, I'm the captain of Black Lives Matter. But I feel like for a while, like I, I know that the media like put D-Ray at the forefront of like the as the leader of the Black Lives Matter movement. And I know mm-hmm. he like pushed a, against that. From my understanding, he pushed against it because, you know, like you said, it was a grassroots thing. Many people were a part of it. And I think the creators of it were actually two black women. Three. It was three. Yeah. Three black. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I, I also find it interesting because like in, in thinking of like, um, 
I don't know. Cause did you guys just hear about like him on his book tour and like uh, people protesting him to say like, you aren't necessarily on the front lines and you are profiting from the movement of like gla- grassroots activists. Did y'all hear no, about I, I didn't hear about no. that. You talking about, talking about D-Ray? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that happened last week. So he was on a book tour and, um, at one of the stops, there were some protesters uh, who said that, you know, they're out there doing like grassroots activism. You know, they're out there making a change. They're starving. And, you know, he's publishing books, schmoozing with like Hillary Clinton and politicians, you know, while they're out there doing the work. Now, I can't comment on that because I, I don't know what he does, but it is interesting the point that you made, Jay, earlier to say like there there can be disconnect between you know, the educated classes who are maybe talking about these things and the people who are like on the ground, maybe doing some more of the grassroots uh, things. I thought that was interesting. We can link an article on that later. No, I think that's very true because a lot of times when you're in the grassroots, you're in the thick of things, it's a little different and you just speak it on something that you never, you know, you never been a part. Because it's funny because I've been to different, you know, meetings and different organizations. There'd be a lot of people there who are educated, master's degrees, higher level education people, but they're speaking on people that's not in the room. Nobody, what they're talking about, the problem they're talking about with the black community to do, they're not speaking on themselves, really. They're kind of like speaking outwardly, like they need to do this, they need to do that. But it's funny how we say what they need to do, but what are we doing to help the process? Because it's like, say, oh, they need to do this, I need to do that. But what are you doing actually in the community? What are you doing? And a lot of times it's nothing, it's just speaking, it's just words. And once you come to somebody with a like kind of elitism perspective, kind of, that's how it gets perceived anyway. It's kind of like, well, you're better than me, so you should listen to me because I have a master's degree or I have these degrees or, I, or I'm just more successful in this oppressive system than you are. I became more oppressive in an oppressive system, so you should listen to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, clearly that, that that will never work, you know. And and I think sometimes, again, and, and then we get off this topic in a second, but I think even thinking about earlier a part of this topic of black elitism and Sometimes a lot, like even with, okay, like how we said, the people who are making it or kind of considered the black elite, maybe not the most educated. So a lot of them actually come from some of these, you know, more deprived and disadvantaged communities. And then they get to these spaces and it seems like they almost forget, you know, where they came from or has this massive disconnect or say, like, I don't see race anymore. I don't see, you know, these issues, these whatever, even thinking of somebody like maybe like a Kanye West, right? Child. Uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, you know, we don't have to go in that direction. Uh, but I think, and, and kind of what Jay said earlier, right? Uh, when we talked about Dak, is like a lot of times they don't, may not want to say things because it might mess up their money. But then, so it clearly like money is ruling their their thought process. Oh, right? yeah. And I think it's like we need when black folks get into these spaces. I think they have to remember that it's now it gets to a point where you have enough money, and it's not just about the money anymore. But I think Jay Z had a line in one of his. In one of his verses, he was like, domino, domino, less and less blacks, the higher that I go, right? And so we've seen even this this transformation of people like Jay-Z um, over the time, over time, right? When they get into these spaces, and I think him and Beyonce kind of got to this point, like, okay, you know, we got enough money, right? So now we're going to do, and I think also having kids plays a role in that too, as far as like what kind of world they're going to leave their kids in. But I think now it's getting to the point of like, okay, let's, let's do something. Let's either create these documentaries, let's create this music, let's inform our people, let's educate our people. Because now it's not about trying to see who, you know, who's not going to pay us anymore if we say the wrong things. And I think we need to see more and more like more people like that who get into these spaces. 
um, you know, just say, I got enough money. You know, now it's time to do the right thing. No, I agree with you 100%, but I think we also got to realize that having money doesn't always mean you have power. I remember Quincy Jones once said, he was like, you can get your money up, you can hire your friends. You can, he was talking about the rap, can you can hire your friends, do all that, but see what that money really takes you. Yes, you're a rapper, yes, you're on top of the billboard, but what is that money really can provide for you for your community? What power does it give you? It just it might give you power in the sense of you want people know you, you're an entertainer, but still you just entertaining us. You still up there dancing and doing what you do, which is cool, but you're not really making a change because they're not gonna let you. Cause your money don't have power behind it. It just got money. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But you can you can use that money. Look at we see what LeBron did. Oh no, you can do money. I'm not saying I'm not being a great No, I know what you're saying. No, I know what you're saying. I'm just saying the power aspect of really cause a lot of people, like you said about that, yes, he might make a lot of money, but he don't really have power because he knows if he speak out and say the wrong mm-hmm. thing, they'll let him go. That's true. Right? Just like they did Kaepernick. Yeah, yeah. Just you know like what I'm saying? Kaepernick. Yeah. Just like Kaepernick. And then everybody been ingrained to think money, money, money. Because it's like if you don't have money, you look that down upon the society anyway. So it's like you got an opportunity to get money. And if you if you don't take that opportunity, people look at you crazy. Like what you mean you didn't, you know, now people apply Cap for what he did. And that's great. But a lot of people, if they was in that same position, wouldn't did it. A lot of black people wouldn't have did it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I think people also think if you say something, you can't make money. And Cap said what he said, and he lost his job, but he's still making money because of it. I mean, even with this endorsement with Nike, right, behind his message of staying true to himself, and he's still making money. So it's possible, you know. Um, but, but yeah, not like that. Okay. So in, in thinking about, because we kind of talked about, like, Black elite historically, Black elite in the contemporary perspective. And I know some of the discussions have talked about, like, the the waning power of, like, the traditional educated Black elite. Part of the reason um, that the, that voice lost power um, was because of integration, um, because there was at a point concentrated power within the black community, like these people that had education and maybe had a little bit of money, um, you know, but that was very concentrated in one community uh, versus after integration, it, it kind of dispersed. Um, and earlier this year, David Banner, um, he was on an interview with at Sister Circle, um, and he said that integration is the worst thing that ever happened to Black people. Um, so I want to, especially within the context of like thinking about like the power that Black people have or the Black power that Black people lost. What are your thoughts on the statement that integration is the worst thing that ever happened to Black people? Well, I would say that you know integration made us made a lot of people not all of us made a lot of people put living next to white people or shopping white people as a badge of honor and putting up there like i need to do this to make me seem better than what you did so it was kind of a compliment to say well yeah i live in a neighborhood and it's all white people live here and it still can be today well i live in this nice neighborhood and it's, it's perceived to be better just because it's all white it's perceived to have a better education for my kids because i go they go to an all white school a more privileged school, which you would say. And not saying the school might not have better you know tools and education but it's just to denigrate everything that's black Anything that's black is bad, it's negative, it's looked down upon. And that's that's can be seen today too as well, because if you want to say, well, we integrated, but we really haven't integrated. If you look at statistics, we really segregated today. We still segregated today. We just we more we more segregated by money now and in- income than we are by race. Because it's not about a race, maybe not. You can live in a white neighborhood, but now you gotta have the money. So now it's more a more uh, income separate than we would be race. You know, I agree. I feel that um, you know. During, it's just, I feel like, you know, when during the civil rights era and when we're pushing to end segregation, I'm sure some people knew 
you know, what they ultimately wanted. But I think a lot of it too, these unintended consequences, that, like you said, Jay, the, the badge of honor, the, the feel that you've made it is moving into these white spaces because since we were forced to come into this country, we were never allowed to be in these spaces. And so now that you can formally say, oh, you know, that, that, that ceiling has been lifted, you can move into those spaces. And then, you know, we kind of picked up and we ran. And I don't, and I think from that perspective, thinking of the people in the era who, you know, doing all that fighting and saying, getting told no, no, no. And finally saying, you know what I can do. And you get up and you move your family to these white spaces. Can't really fault them for that. Right. I don't know. And, but I think now because we can look back decades later and say, Oh man, maybe we could have did it differently, right? Or or just oh, yeah. had a different message attached to it because, yeah, you're right. What happened is we deprived our own communities, right, um, in some ways because, you know, the, the black folks who had the resources were moving into these white spaces and then those who didn't remained. And the issue was with the white folks weren't moving back into the, the black spaces. Yeah. And so those lawyers and those doctors and those teachers and whomever who were getting up and going into these white places. Uh, now the black community was deprived of all those assets you need to have a strong community. And um, so I think you're right. I think a part of the message, if, if we can go back in time is to be like, listen, we want to end segregation. We want to be treated as equals. Right. But that, but we're not going to say that what you have is better than what we have. Right. What we have is just fine, but we're not going to be treated differently anymore because of the color of our skin. Um, mm-hmm. and, then, and then I think things would, would work out a little differently. Yeah, because I think even Martin Luther King figured that out at the end before he got killed. Even he mm-hmm. figured, even though they don't really publicize that part of his speeches and the part of his words at the end. But when he was mm-hmm. the end of his life, he was speaking a quite different tune than he was in the beginning when he had that first speech about, you know, that I have a dream speech. So I think we got to consider that as well. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so in, in you mentioned like messaging, Ty. And so like one of the messages around like Brown B. Board of Education, which, you know, sparked integration in mm-hmm. other areas of life besides education. Well, actually, everything but education has pretty much been integrated. I mean, neighborhoods aren't really, but they use education as the case to integrate things and schools are just as segregated as they were um, mm-hmm. in 1954. But you know, the message was that separate is inherently unequal. And like you said, maybe the messaging should have been different because they were building a case that like, you know, black schools and these black spaces were like so inferior, like they were so, and they weren't saying it because black people were inferior, but that was kind of the message Mm -hmm. that was attached to our institutions and our schools. And there's a lot of resources and books that show like after integration happened, these schools just further deteriorated or they were closed. So there were a lot of black institutions that were closed when integration happened because people are no longer using schools or shops or whatever it is that they think are inferior to these more integrated spaces. And I feel like some of the messaging should have been, no, give us our equal, give us our 40 acres or whatever it is so that we can make our institutions what we need them to be. Because 
I, I know at least with the case of schools, they had the people, the caring people who were teaching people their history and just really cared. And then now we have students that are in schools, you know, where they are not respected because of who they are as people and because of their race. So you had the people, you just needed more resources. And I feel like, and there's some books that even show like, you know, Thurgood Marshall and some of the people who came up with the strategy, you know, consider after the fact, may. Maybe we actually should have been fighting for equal. Yeah, mm-hmm. I def- mm-hmm. and I definitely think anybody from that era would, if they was being honest, would say, yeah, even though it was some things that got done in the era that was good, but that's something they probably should have realized that they'll never give us, you know, equality, right? We'll never be really integrated. Even today, we're not equal. We're not, we're not integrated. So that really never happened. So mm-hmm. to give us our own when they was actually willing to give us our own, I'm not willing, but willing to at least not be around us because they didn't want to be around us. They didn't want to see us. So at least fighting for that would have been more cause than fighting for just something you would never get. Because even today, it's been, you know, over 50 years ago and we're still fighting for the same thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fighting for not getting shot by police, fighting for, you know, education system, fighting for, you know, just funding in our communities, just having a nice neighborhood other than getting by gentrification. You know, mm-hmm. you know, so it's still the same issue. Yeah, I think um, like the, like like the Black Panther Party and the like, and I think I, I feel like just you know I haven't read anything about, it, but this is how I feel about the kind of just the atmosphere of what's going on. And I do feel like there is this kind of I don't even want to call it radical, but I do think it's this like more like kind of this black empowerment perspective. Right. Uh, kind of even going, we talked about way earlier on we're talking about trusting. And I think a part of when you talk about integration, it's like both parties or whomever's involved, everybody has to want to integrate or make be a part of each other's communities. And so even though the laws passed, that just wasn't the case. Right. You know, black folks moved out, but white folks were still trying to get away from black folks. And when you look at a lot of major cities and urban areas today, I think this was Daphne kind of briefly mentioned earlier, right. It's still many places are still very much segregated school systems and communities and everything else, right. Job, location, whatever else. So there hasn't been that much integration. And so, and I think a part of some part of the issue, and I, and this is one of the things that I, you know, been thinking of just as far as like my philosophy, how I want to, approach things. And I think, yeah, I think a lot of it has been, you know, we protest or you protest or you make noise and you push forward and you kind of like, like you kind of go and you bang on a white man's door and you say, Hey, you know, give us a, give us half of your pie. Right. So we could be equal. And with that expectation, they're they're never going to give us half of theirs. Mm -hmm. Right. And so now it's getting to the point where we have to realize what we have is a value and, and probably even a more value than what they have instead of asking them to give us more of their resources. No, we have our own resources and let's figure out the way to utilize it best for our community first and move everybody else to the side and take care of our own, our own kids, our own schools, our own businesses moving forward. Right. And, that, and again, this is nothing new. This is what we've seen in the, with, with the Black Panther Party, right? Black empowerment, uh, Black pride and, and putting forth their own communities. And I think, you know, that scared the hell out of the government, yeah. which is why they acted the way they did. But I, yeah. I, I think we're moving back in that direction. Oh, definitely. I, I think you can see that in the movement, you know, that's going on in the world now with Black people. I feel like you see not that we're all united, but more of us is coming together are having a conversation, are working together to actually work towards something in the future. Mm-hmm. 
I also see more of a movement toward like building and supporting like black owned businesses. You know, I think about our conversation with Ash Cash and how the lifespan of a dollar in the African-American community is like six hours. hours, And that was not the case during integration. And that is what was lost. And so we're looking at other ethnic communities and like, how, how did they get here? How is their, you know, dollar lifespan lasting for like 30 days and stuff like that? And how do we do that? And I think we would have similar like ethnic enclaves, ethnic business enclaves, if, you know, integration hadn't happened. So um, I do believe there's like a movement toward like buying black and just keeping assets within our community. So I, I hope we can see that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, all right. So this last point, you know, and this is definitely more of your realm, Jay, than Daphne and I's, right? Uh, but the importance of black media, right? You know, and, and determining, you know, or helping uh, push forward the agenda of black America, black Americans, and what we would like to see happen in this country. You know, what is your take on that? How, how can we begin to use black media more to influence this conversation and getting us to where we'd like to be? Yeah, so I feel like black media is a need that we need. We don't just want it. We need black media because a lot of times we don't see images of us in a positive light portrayed on the mainstream media. A lot of times you you go to your local news channel, you see black people, you'll see them talking about us, who, who shot who or who got arrested or something negative. It's not a positive. It's not usually a positive story for us. And so a lot of times our stories and our positive stories aren't told. So we need to tell our own stories and not only tell our stories, but also, like I said before, talk critically about issues that are pertaining to us, you know, and from our perspective, not from, you know, a mainstream media perspective. I can't say this or I can't speak in this way because it's not professional, but no, really speak from a true and a unique place. And that's what we're doing at the Black Detour. And that's what I, lo- I see a lot of other black media outlets are doing now, too, and just speaking out for us and actually be owned by us, too, because a lot of times we see black media, quote unquote, but they're not really black media because they're owned by a corporate background. You know, so they really can't speak out on uh, on certain issues because at the end of the day, they're owned by a corporate background. But for independent black media outlets, it's important for us to speak critically about certain things that's going on about the country and about our own plight in this country. No, absolutely. I agree. Um, I just appreciate the the new voices in black media, you know, black detour, uh, blavity and a lot of other places, like you said, that are like moving beyond just like these negative images of black people that we see all the time. But like, again, like you said, having stories of uplift, having stories that are pointing people to um, how to build and create things within our community, Um, as well as like you said, I know you said the black detour focuses on this, but like teaching us our history so that we aren't repeating, Mm -hmm. you know, the same mistakes that we did like for hundreds of years. Yeah, I think media carries conversation, right? And pushes conversation forward. And if you're only getting one perspective, then you're missing a lot. And especially if, you know, if it's about black folk and black folk aren't the ones writing these stories or, or these making these visuals or whatever kind of the, the platform is, then uh, you're leaving out a, a whole group of folks. And I, you know, just the other day, um, it's funny because in my class, uh, my students, we were just talking about the, the the topic of the day was about crime and media. And of course we intertwine race into that. Uh, but one of the things I do is that we just go, cause we're in New York. So we look at the the websites of like the local news stations or whatever, you know, the media, we see 
how what are they reporting? Just looking at what's on the front page of these websites. And um, it's funny because, you know, generally, of course, we look at national news is going to be a lot of the you know national news headlines, a lot of stuff dealing with Trump or whatever's going on. They cover the same things. But when you get to the local news stories um, and you click on a certain boroughs, like some boroughs that are more, you know, suburban or white dominated. Right. That you see a lot more of those positive stories, uplifting stories, things with context. But then when you get to the communities like Brooklyn and the Bronx, I mean, it's nothing but it's filled with images of nothing but crime and violence. Right. Just covering up the whole front page. And so these are like when people are clicking on these stories and if you're not from these areas. Right. Or even if you are, you're trying to see what's going on in the news. You're just constantly being fed all of this, you know, this violence or this crime or these or these 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 bad or terrible stories, you know, while these other com- communities are getting these positive uplifting stories. Right. And it's like. People leave with the impression, like, oh, man, nothing good happens in the Bronx. You know, yeah. nothing good happens in Brooklyn yeah. when that's not the case. There's a lot of great things going on, a lot of great yeah. people there. But because, like you said, you know, we don't control the platform. We don't control right. the narrative. This is what's being pushed out there. And then people believe it as fact. Right. Or that's the only way these communities operate. But it's not it's not true. And so I, so I think, yeah, I, I definitely agree. Yeah, because in media, a lot of times, especially this is a term that's used all over media, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. You know, that's a that's a statement that I always heard and that you will continue to hear because a lot of times in local news, a lot of times they focus, especially on the black community, they focus on the crime. You know, that's feel like that's what people want to hear. And, and that see, focusing on the crime makes other people who are not in our community per- perceive us as only that's the only thing we do. Other than, you know, other than, you know, playing sports. So a lot of times they think well, black people will play in sports, entertainment, or crime. So that's, that shouldn't be the, the three things you could do as a black person, right? You know, either play sports, entertainment in some way, or, you know, you uh crime, doing some type of crime. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I think that this has been like a really good and interesting conversation. Like there's been like the historical, but also I feel like, especially at the beginning of the interview, it provided a lot of useful tips for people who might want to, provide counter narratives in like this digital space. So thank God for social media because we can create our own platforms and things of that nature. But um, we need more counter narratives. We need uh, more black detours and more BHDs out here um, to educate people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. It was, it was great talking to you, Jay. Good conversation, man. We covered a lot. Really appreciate what you're doing on your platform. Really appreciate what you're doing for the community, man. And, you know, we definitely want to see, you know, continue to, to network and keep working together, but also see where this goes. And, you know, also tell uh, tell our listeners, too, where to find you, you know, social media, all that kind of stuff, um, so they can keep in touch with you all, too. Yeah, so you can find us at The Black Detour, T-H-E-B-L-A-C-K-D-E-T-O-U-R, on any social media platform. And also you can visit our website at theblackdetour.com. And we, you know, we publish articles every day. We keep, you know, the conversation going on a daily basis, seven days a week. So you can hear from us. You don't have to wonder where we at because we always there. So Cool, cool. And before we leave, I guess I'll just ask you one thing. You know, give our listeners something that, a takeaway that you think they should, you know, consider moving forward for our community. Well, I would just say, you know, think about our community when you make certain decisions you make. A lot of times as black people, we only think about ourselves. It's kind of the me, five, me mentality. And I always encourage people to think about the collective of black people. I know it's hard sometimes when you only focus on self and when you've been taught as a kid, well, worry about yourself, stop worrying about everybody else. But sometimes it's good to think about other people and what other people in our community are going through, not just yourself, not just your personal situation. So that's what I would encourage people to do to reach and reach out to somebody. It may be only be one person, it may only be two persons, but reach out to people and figure out what you can do in your small way. 
because everybody has a part to play. Mm. Mm. Well, definitely appreciate it from from the mouth of Jay Kobe at the Black Detour. We appreciate you, man. And keep doing what you're doing. Yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right, Dad. So, what you think about Mr. Kobe and the Black Detour? I think it is awesome. The website is really awesome. Um, it looks really informative, and I'm definitely going to like it on Facebook so it can start being like one of my sources of news related to like the Black community because they cover topics from like um, politics to like uh, uh, sports and, you know, art and things of that nature. So I, I want that to be one of my news sources moving forward. Um, but in terms of the interview, I really hope it sparked people's interest in learning more about like black history beyond like what we're told about like slavery and Jim Crow, that there are these whole other worlds um, in terms of like black history and what black people have done and accomplished and, you know, the groups that we created, because that's a part of black history, too. Um, like Jay said, and like I said, like, you know, a lot of people have not even heard of the concept of the black elite or the idea that, you know, there are, you know, there's a group of black people um, that are unlike a lot of the images that are portrayed in the media. So mm-hmm. I hope that kind of sparked people's interest in, you know, maybe picking up some books um, or just reading some websites because websites are free if you have the mm-hmm. Internet, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and just read. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I really, I really appreciate the conversation, this conversation we had, because, yeah, we really never talked about black elitism and stuff like that. And this was really more of a conversation, just kind of navigating and, and talking about, you know, our community from within to an extent. Right. Uh, I feel like a lot of conversations, you know, black folk and what, you know, what happens to us and, and other issues compared to other groups or whatever, you know, but this one was good just to have. What are we doing? What, what are, how do we view things in our perspectives from our own communities, which are important, and looking at classism and stuff with our own communities? Um, but I also appreciate that, you know, the work that Jay does and his team uh, with the Black Detour. And, you know, I think that's something that mo- hopefully our listeners took away from this as well. Not only what we do here at, like, BHD, but also you can see these other platforms like the Black Detour of really just not being afraid to create your own outlet and your own platform uh, because it's important um if we are sitting in a space where we're just waiting like we if we're frustrated like oh we're not getting enough black content or they're not touching on this from our perspective or putting our voice whatever that voice may be for you you can create your own right and especially in this day and age with the technology we have i mean all you kind of really need is a computer and if you have that you can create websites you know to 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 purchase a a website domain for a year is like twenty dollars right and then you can use these things like squarespace wordpress whatever whatever is out there and begin right away and it's not going to be perfect you learn as you go but if we want more of that then we have to be you know responsible for creating it is what it's boiling down to Yes, you got to take the initiative. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it takes time to grow. Like, you know, Jay's advice earlier, be consistent, you know, um, strategize as best you can. But, you know, a lot of it is just going with the flow. Even with Daphne and I, we, you know, we spent a few months planning before we launched, you know. and uh, But still, we still learned as we went and we tweaked things and we changed things. And we added things and we took things away. And so it's OK to, to do that. And you'll still grow. You'll still have listeners and you still get your message out there. If that and that's if that's what your main uh, goal is overall. 
No, I, I absolutely agree. Um, I want uh, to have more opportunities to collaborate and work with other people that are pushing content. Like we don't see it as a competition, like we all in this together. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's just really awesome when people reach out to us to, you know, get get connected and to you know, introduce us to their platform and they can introduce uh, their audiences to our platform and we can just Mm -hmm. all do this together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, yeah. I mean, cause y'all don't hear a lot what goes on off the air, but that's like what Daphne said, that's the kind of um, atmosphere that was created with people like Jay and ourselves, right. And other people that have come on um, and, and to have conversations with us, you know, we're very open and we want to build net. We want to network. We want to, you know, expose our audience to what a lot of these people are doing and vice versa. And so it's a community. And so that's what we're all about. And so again, Jay and his team was another one who reached out to, to us, right. We're like, for sure. Come on, let's go. Let's chat. You know, this is an important conversation to have. Um, and so again, this is what BHD is about, and we're going to continue to press that message that we're here for the community. We're here for you all, and when you reach out to us, we're going to do our best to to get your message out there, to get your voice out there, or find somebody who can, if it's not you. Um, and you know, you're a part of this process with us and helping us build this and, and put out this content. So yes, please be a part of the conversation. Yeah. So continue to reach out to us. Continue to reach out to us. Continue to give us ideas and the like. Um, but other than that, you know, as always, continue to follow us on social media at BHD Podcast, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Go to our website, www.blackandhighlydangerous.com to get all our latest content. Um, email us at black, uh, what is it? Oh, email us bhdpodcast at gmail.com uh, with your topics, questions, anything you want. Um, and as always, share us with your friends, share us with your families, and share us with your enemies and continue to be the oppressor's worst fear. If you're interested in continuing this and other conversations, visit our website, blackandhollydangerous.com to subscribe to our email list, suggest topics, and participate in our discussion forums. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at BHD Podcast. And please don't forget to subscribe and rate our podcast on your favorite platform. And as always, continue to be the oppressor's worst fear.